Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside? Woo, the weather's changing. Sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's warm, but it's always going to be February for the next week or so anyway. Hey, I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. You've tuned in to the Gestalt Gardener. It's a program put on by Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Me and Java Chapman, my awesome producer, and all the folks at MPB welcome you to this garden party. Uh, here it is, the uh, end of the first week in February. Things are still weird, but there's hope in the garden. Things are coming up and blooming and all sorts of positive things we're going to be talking about. Got some cheesy music, some friendly music coming up, some emails, and a couple of interesting things that I've been up to. I think you'll be interested in. Anyway, we're going to sit back and do a live call-in radio program as soon as we come back from the news. Welcome to MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulturist Felder Rushing for the next hour or so. It's all about gardening. Gardening Southern style, that is. If you're listening by podcast from anywhere else in the world, we welcome you. We talk a little funny, but we get it done. Here it is, the... Uh, well into February, we've got camellias in bloom, we've got daffodils, we've got flowering quince, there's just all sorts, the, the flowering cherries are blooming, flowering apricot, there's all sorts of stuff uh, starting to get our juices going a little bit. A little bit early for doing some stuff, but there's a couple of things that are crucial to do this month if, you're lent toward, if you lean towards doing those kind of things. I'll touch on those in just a little bit. Uh, things that, if you're going to do them, you ought to do them pretty soon. And uh, again, that's because we're live and we can talk about stuff like this. If you've got some things you'd like to talk about, it's real, real easy. Give me a call. It's toll free, one eight seven seven mpb ring We'll give the numbers over and over again, so feel free to give us a call. we got the lines wide open. And again, if there's anything on your gardening mind, let's hear it. Let's hear it. We'll talk about it. Uh, and I won't try to sell you anything. I won't try to fool you. I'll tell you what I would do or what I'd recommend my mother do or my neighbors do. Not necessarily what a horticulturist would do. Even though I am a horticulturist, I'm not stuck by the rules. We can cut corners. We can let some things slide. There's some things that we know that we don't really need to do. Some, some You can overcomplicate anything, but we're talking about gardening, not horticulture. If you want to get into horticulture topics, Trust me, I can do that. 31 books under my belt. I feel like I can probably cover some basic. Look stuff up real quick. As a matter of fact, if you like to, uh, don't feel like calling and want to shoot me an email, I'm on my computer right now. It's real easy, garden at mpbonline.org. And uh, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm on the uh, computer right now looking at it. Uh, there's a couple of things going on right now. This weekend, there's a, there's a real nice event. Uh, if you're interested in roses, old roses, shrub roses, ever-blooming roses, easy roses, own root roses, not the grafty kind, this is going to be a rose pruning event. Uh, workshop, a session. Uh, it's in Jackson, central Mississippi, a block north of our state capital, downtown Jackson. There's an old historic cemetery called Greenwood Cemetery. It goes back to like 1919, uh, excuse me, 1819. Got a bunch of governor's bear there, Eudora Welty, uh, some other uh, folks. But there's a lot of old roses planted between the tombstones that are just a real joy. They bloom a lot. They don't need spray. They don't get sprayed. Uh, but once a year, uh, we like to go in and the ones that are the biggest or the most cluttered, we like to cut them back and take the cuttings home and root them ourselves because this is the time of year to do it. If you're interested in that, it's going to start at 9 o'clock, Greenwood Cemetery, uh, downtown Jackson, again, a block north of the, the state capital. Hard to miss that. Look for the big golden eagle and go block north. Um, if you've got some loppers, some pruning shears, bring them. If you've got some plastic bags for cuttings, maybe a Sharpie pen so you can keep them labeled. Well, there'll be folks there pruning roses, talking about roses, showing you how to root roses, and actually maybe planting some roses they rooted from cuttings from the cemetery. Anyway, it's free, and it's going to start at 9 o'clock Saturday, February the 8th. Uh, if you're hearing this on a rebroadcast, it could be down there for a couple hours, so hit on that, down that way. I don't have anything else on my calendar to, to, to talk about right now, except that next week, next Saturday, uh, February the 15th, I'm going to be giving a free home fruit talk, how to choose the right variety, the right types of fruits that look good in the landscape and make fruit without a bunch of care, how to choose the right varieties for 
our part of the country, how to plant them, how to prune them, fertilizing, that kind of stuff. It's a free seminar. It's always well attended. And get this, it's indoors. So rain or shine or freeze or hot or whatever, uh, come on down. That's going to be at Hutto's Garden Center, which is in Jackson off of, uh, on Ellis Avenue right off of Interstate 20. Again, next Saturday, I'll talk about it a little bit more. Starts at 9, free home landscape fruit seminar. Everything you need to know from a guy who does it himself. Not trying to sell you anything, but we're going to talk about it. And there's some stuff you would like to get. That's a good place to do it. Anyway, those are the two things I've got. There's some other things coming up next month. We've got plenty of time to yak about that. Meanwhile, let's do what we're here for today. Let's open up the screen door and welcome to our garden party, um, Sar from Memphis. Hey, Sar, how are you? Oh, hi. How are you, sir? Doing fine. What can I help you with? Oh, hydroponics gardening. As I understand it, uh, no soil is necessary, and there are ways to do it both inside and outside. I was kind of hoping you could talk about that a little bit. I'll just... Uh, well, well I, I can, sir, but the problem is there's so much to say. I, the best I can do is summarize it. Uh, first of all, they are grown in a not dirt or potting soil, they're grown in like sand or perlite, something that helps support the roots, and water is run over the roots that's got dissolved fertilizer in it. So, you know, you could do it in gallon jugs, you can do it uh, in any kind of pot, anything that, that you can run fresh water into, a little bit of nutrients, hopefully with something the roots can wrap around, like a little perlite or some coarse gravel or something like that. Uh, but all it is, we're just, uh, we're just, Instead of growing them in the dirt, we're growing them in water with dissolved fertilizer. Other than that, they still need sunshine. They need, you know, all the regular stuff, whether it's indoors or out. So if you're going to try it indoors, it's kind of hard to pull off vegetables uh, even in a south window because that's not quite enough light for most vegetables um, unless you're trying to grow leafy greens or, you know, herbs or things like that. But if, if it needs flowers or fruit, probably needs more light than it's going to get in a regular house. So anyway, that's kind of an overview, and it's, it can be done very simply. Uh, you go online and look at it, it will complicate things to where you would not believe. But we can break down as simple as you want if you want to follow it up with an email. But anyway, it's it's not that hard to do. It's like rooting something in your window in a glass of water, taking a couple of steps further. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. There's a lot a lot of stuff to carry that to, to cover there, Sarah. But like I say, you can do it if you want to give it a try. It's kind of interesting and it's fun. But if you want some more information, shoot me an email. I'll be glad to help out. Will do, sir. Thank you. All right. Appreciate that. Okay. That was from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, if you want to give me a call, toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. Uh, I do present a lot of programs to libraries and master garden groups, garden clubs, uh, all sorts of things, uh, landscape consultations. If there's anything I can help you promote or anything I can help you with, I've got quite a few things lined up starting in the uh, latter part of, of this month, first part of next month. But there's some things I can help you with. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. A lot of master gardener things coming up, including some plant swaps I'm going to be talking about, but they're not for another month or a little bit more than a month, so we'll We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, would like to mention that I'm um, uh, headed home next week. I've been in, in England studying winter gardens all across the United Kingdom. Uh, over here, winter is as important as any other season. They may not have a lot of stuff, but they grow camellias even up in Scotland. So they grow quite a bit in the wintertime. But get this, in the United Kingdom, in England, they plan their gardens to be as attractive in the middle of the winter as any other season. They, they, they've been here. They've done that. They don't wait for spring or summer. Uh, they actually plant stuff now that will look good this time next year. All sorts of ways you could have an incredibly pretty, even flowering garden in the middle of the winter if you plan ahead. And that's the kind of thing that I've been looking at. As soon as I get off the air today, I'm catching a train down to London. It takes about two and a half hours to get to London, I guess. Uh, I, don't, I don't go to L London very much anymore. But anyway, I'm going to have an early morning opportunity to photograph uh, in the Royal Horticulture Society Wisley Garden. they got a new exhibit on indoor plants used in unusual ways. Probably do a blog on it soon. Uh, meanwhile, daffodils blooming, flowering quins, early plums. You want to call and talk about it? Bring it on. Let's go now to Jackson and talk with Jim. Morning, Jim. Howdy. Good morning, Felder. Jim Rosenblatt here. Hello. What's up? I have a question about 
my good neighbors in my garden, uh, worms. Uh, every year I take some uh, shredded leaves and work them into the ground. But is there anything else I could do to promote the worm population in my garden? Oh, well, yeah. Now, you're talking about your raised bed garden. You don't use a tiller. You just dig it by hand and shovel and stuff like that, right? That's right. Yeah, as long as you don't use a tiller, it's not that big a deal. They eat the the, the leaves and grass clippings and things like that. But just like cows, uh, the cattle farmers don't feed their cows just hay. They also give them a protein supplement, and worms benefit from that too. So if you'll dust the area, if you, when you put your leaves on top, lightly dust them with a little cottonseed meal. It's got nitrogen in it. It's got a little phosphorus and potash, a natural. But most important, it's got protein, and those worms will get uh, 10 inches a foot long. Uh, it, within within just months, you'll have huge whoppers. It, but give them just a light dusting of cottonseed meal uh, when you first put the leaves on, then turn that in. That'll help a lot. Is that available at any garden store? Well, I don't know if every garden center cares, but most of them do. Some, you know, uh, price it around a little bit. Um, you know, there's one that's not very far from you that, that bags it up themselves. They buy it in bulk and, and, you know, sell it in their own individual bags. Might be a little bit cheaper. It only takes a good dusting, Jim. A pint jar, which is a pound, will cover hundred square feet. That's that's bigger than your garden. So you don't you don't need more than a pound or two at the most. So, uh, and by the way, if you like a little bit more information about that, I did a, an article about my. Th- this is so stupid. My three favorite worms, the worms in my garden, with pictures and how I grow them and what they do, and some interesting stuff about, believe it or not, the lowly earthworm. So if you want to go to Fellow Rushing blog. And uh, just type in worms in the search box. It'll take you to kind of a funky article about uh, about growing them and also the different types you run into. I'll do that, and then I'll be ready to go fishing this summer too. Uh, that's right, you know. And not only that, I even have a recipe on there if you want to if you want to try eating them. They're they're you know high protein, low cholesterol, just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> I think I'll pass on that one. Oh, that's a bad pun. See you later. Okay, thanks, Felder. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, I, t- I did a blog about worms, earthworms, red wigger worms, and the green worm, that little curly cue in this way down deep that has such a funky smell. That's a gar- uh, Felder Rushing blog. Not a website, but Felder Rushing blog. Uh, got a couple of other interesting things on there you might uh, enjoy. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with more phone calls. I feel like I'm talking real fast because I'm excited. I got the lines open. Give me a call. It's toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. By the way, every time that gets forty five fifty degrees or above out in the winter garden, you can see uh, honeybees and butterflies. Hopefully, they're on some of the wildflowers in your lawn. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back, and hopefully, with some of your phone calls right after this. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. Uh, got some lines open if you want to give us a call. Uh, would like to mention a couple of uh, emails I got. They're very timely. One is, should we really rotate crops in home gardens? I mean, that sounds like a, a farm type thing. Even flower gardeners should swap out stuff from time to time. If you plant the same things in the same bed or the same pot over and over and over, year after year, Problems related to that plant or its close relatives do build up. You plant tomatoes and peppers in the same spot every year, you're going to end up with some problems that we really can't cure. So it's always a good idea, even if you've got a very small garden, to move stuff to different corners every year. Move things around. Don't follow related things with the related things. But um, anyway, it's just a good idea to keep insects and diseases from building up. 
It's one of the advantages of having several raised beds instead of one big garden. You could treat a small raised bed not much bigger than a coffee table or, or let's say, uh, you know, maybe four or five feet square. If you have two or three of those, you could treat them as individual gardens, planting one as needed. And when it's ready to harvest, you just harvest and redo that one little area. But keep it going by having several small gardens or different areas in your garden, and moving things around, keep things going all the time. Uh, now let's go down to Dewey and Biloxi. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? So far, so good. What's up? So I have these two sago palms in my yard that I, pro- I planted about 10 years ago. And um, here recently, in the last few months, it started getting kind of this powdery-looking substance, and I think it's scales. My question is, it's been a couple months, um, is there a point where there's, that's unsalvageable, or is there anything I can do to try to save well, the- <laughs> Uh, there's a couple of things you can do. Uh, first of all, scale, you can take your thumbnail and rub a scale insect off. You know, the, the, the ones that I normally see on sagos are like little small half-sized BBs, if you're old enough to remember what a BB is. And anyway, they scrape right off, usually the bottom of the leaves. There is a small waxy one. It's, it's not a little bump, but it's just a little little lumpy thing. Uh, but you can usually scrape them off. And if that's what it is, it is scale. Uh, it's hard to spray for them, though, because scale cover themselves up. So sprays don't get in, and you don't want to use the kind of poisons that's going to poison the whole plant. So what I'd recommend would be, and it sounds like a little trouble, but it's worth it. Go out sometime the next month or so and just simply snip off all the leaves. It'll look kind of funny, but as you know, they'll put out all sorts of new growth uh, in the spring, maybe even a second growth a little bit later. But that gets rid of most of the scale that are on the plant, and the new growth will come out. Maybe it's a fasted. Uh, it'll outrun them. But if you if you cut the plants back where there's no leaves left on it, won't hurt it. Uh, and then if you want to take it a step further, Dewey, you can spray it with what's called a dormant oil. They sell it at garden centers. And it's a, it's a plant-safe oil that covers the plant. And if there's any scale you miss, it covers them up and suffocates them. So dormant oil plus pruning, or let's say pruning, plus maybe some dormant oil. And that'll keep the worst of them under control. And uh, okay, if you're not really, hey, if you're not sure about it, shoot me a pretty clear close-up of the white stuff because it might be something completely. If you can't scrape the scale off, we need to find out what it is before you do anything. Okay, okay, we will try that. Okay, let's let's get it to the patient needs to stick out his tongue and say ah before we can take it any further. Ah, <laughs> see you, <laughs> see you later. Bye. Thank you so much. All right, you bet. Uh, by the way, I got a, uh, an email from a listener who was listening last week, heard me talk with a fellow about chestnut trees, want to know if chestnuts are growing in this part of the country. I said they're, they would, but I don't know where you could get them. Anyway, a listener said there's a little garden center outside of Louisville, Mississippi, up in north, north central Mississippi, on Highway 25. It's called Evergreen Nursery. Apparently, it sells disease-resistant hybrid chestnut trees. Normally, I don't recommend garden centers unless they have a truly unique thing that's hard to get anywhere else. But Evergreen Nursery, Highway 25 outside of Louisville, apparently has the new hybrid disease-resistant chestnut trees. Now, let's slide over to Flowood, Mississippi. Hey, Tina, good morning. Hi, good morning. Hello. Um, excuse me. Yeah, so I have a couple of fruit trees that are growing like straight up, like pencils. Can I uh-huh. pop them? Yeah, you can. What kind are they? Uh, peach. And, uh, yeah. Well, well, actually, and, and the other thing, let me ask you this: How long have they been in the ground? About three years. Okay. Here, here's what what I would do. If you look at, if you drive to any peach orchard. On Earth, anywhere on Earth, peaches are going to come up about two or three feet, and then they're going to branch out with main limbs and go outward like like a, like a bowl shape. And the only way they do that is they cut it off at that height and let it sprout out new growth that high. So, uh, you know, if you don't feel like cutting it down that far, cut it down as far as you can. If there's any branches left, thin those out, you know, at least to three or four feet. And if there's any branches left, thin those out to ones that are pointing in different directions. And then this year, anything that grows straight up, just cut it off. And only leave stuff that's growing up and out. Uh, sort of like if you're holding a, a baseball with your uh, with your hand pointing up towards the sky and take the baseball uh-huh. out, it should look like that. And that's what all commercial uh, peach plum growers do every year. They cut off all the stuff that's growing straight up and only leave 
out and up stuff. And uh, so okay. sort of like it's like shaping up eyebrows. You get rid of the ones you don't want, leaves the ones you do want. So and, okay. and it won't hurt the it won't hurt the plant to cut it back if you get right on it. And can I do it now? This is the best time. Uh, in my, my okay, fruit good. seminar I'm giving next week, uh, I always it just shocks everybody. I put these this fruit tree up on a table that's like six feet tall, and they won't, I don't know how much they sell them for, 10, 15, 20, whatever they sell fruit trees for. It's six or seven feet tall. I take my pruning shears and whoop, knock it, tip it right off about two and a half feet, and people gasp about that, but that's actually the best tree you can plant, one that's been cut off you know, as soon as you can to make it branch out. But this is the time of year to do it. Okay, that's what I needed. Thank you. Okay, okay, and be sure to come back and thin out the stuff that's growing, you know, this year that's not growing out and up. Anything that's growing straight up, just pop it off, and uh, and the tree okay. will, will get its main framework for the rest of the tree's life. Okay, good. Will do. Okay, appreciate it, Tina. Thank you. Oh, what I, what I, you bet. What I, what I didn't tell her is that people are going to talk about her really bad because it looks terrible, but this is what everybody does. Hey, let's go up to Madison now. Hey, Jason, thanks for calling. Hey, buddy. Good morning. How you doing? So far, so good. What's going on? Awesome. Um, we've got an indoor aquarium. It's a 20-gallon aquarium that uses hydroponics for its filtration system. And so uh -huh. it basically goes from the bottom tank and then the water siphons to an upper tank. And uh, so we have various water-style plants planted in that. And we've got some, uh, this, like, beaded uh, clay-like structure that the plants use to, to hold on to. Uh, yeah, right. The issue that we're having is that this water, uh, since it's got an open top to the aquarium, it evaporates fairly quickly. Um, we get uh, uh, filtered bottle service water uh, shipped to our house, and so we actually use that for the water instead of using the CMU water out of the, the faucet to put right. uh, water into the aquarium. But what I'm noticing is that, uh, you know, the, the plants after time, they end up struggling. Um, we tried to put nitrogen that we get from the, uh, from the, the pet store into the aquarium, but sometimes that it almost seems like if you over fertilize something, it turns you get a lot of algae, a lot of algae that too. And so uh, I'm, j I'm just trying to see, is there a supplement that we can get that will be more, beneficial to the plant since the water does come and go so quick yeah uh, you know this is a good question and if you've gone online you probably read a thousand different opinions about this but let me ask you this do you also have fish or is it mostly the plants no we do have fish in there the, the that's what the aquarium is for is for the fish on the bottom yeah, side yeah. and the top side is just a, a whole yeah <laughs> well you know it, it it's not too complicated but there's just enough variables where it's hard to come up with a real straight answer as, as you probably found out online already uh, partly because some plants really not made to be forever type plants they need to be replaced just like fish you know sometimes you got to mm -hmm. get you got to get you a, in a new angel fish every now and then same thing with plants so uh, you know don't you know don't be uh, embarrassed about having to swap plants out from time to time. Here's a problem, though. The type of fertilizer this, that, that, that you use may not be everything the plants need. They also need mm -hmm. phosphorus and potash, in other words, something like miracle Grow, but only in very small amounts, and I don't know that that's good for fish. You know, because right. I'm the I'm, I'm the plant guy. So you, we need to find out, can you use water-soluble plant fertilizer at really small, let's say one-fourth strength or even less, See if that won't, if if that doesn't harm your your fish. I'd be glad to do a little research on it uh, over the weekend if you want to shoot me an email. But that's the approach I would use: is some, something that's got all the micronutrients that plants need, which is not just nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash, but also zinc and copper and all those little what they call trace minerals. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, I'm not trying to recommend one brand over another, but Miracle Grow is widely available and it's got all those things. Just don't know if it's good for fish or not. And, and again, right. it's, it's pretty normal to have to swap plants out from time to time. Yeah, we do that frequently throughout the year. You know, here's my question is that we, we constantly monitor that water to make sure it's, uh, you know, the pH level is right and everything else for the fish. Right. Is there anything right. like that for plants to be able to monitor the water, see what you need to add or, or not add? No, no. Okay. Not, well, they're... No, the, the people who have who do hydroponics, they have all sorts of kits like that too. But you know, the home kits are just ballpark figures. And you know, my my way of thinking: if you can test uh, the water, if you get a little home uh, a garden pH type tester thing, not not pH, uh, a kit that tests for nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. 
You know, those are three things you need to check for for plants. Maybe also for fish. I don't know. Just not a fish mm-hmm. guy. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your help. Thank you very much. Well, it's it's just a start. You know, when I don't know something, I'm always happy to look it up because that way I get edified a little bit too. So shoot me an email, and even if you find something out, let me know. I'd like okay. to find out. I will. Thank you very much. I'll send you an email. Okay. Okay, okay Jason. Good luck on it. Thanks, bud. Take care. Right. Okay, before we take this next call, let me mention this. I got a, a really sweet email from uh, from a listener uh, named uh, who Donna Krebs. Donna Krebs. She wanted to know about pruning some stuff, and but but I was thrilled that she signed her email with her name followed by D period I period G period. It's the first time anyone has self identified as a digger. Determined Independent Gardener, which is the topic of my next book. University Press has a manuscript now. It's, it's about maverick gardeners, uh, you know, not the rebellious people who just rebel against rules. They just don't follow stupid rules. They do their own thing, period. Can't Anyway, this is the first time anybody identified herself as a DIG, a digger, and a determined independent gardener. Donna, I appreciate that. Uh, now let's go up to Barbara in South Haven. Hey, Barbara. Hello. I need to cut that off. Um, I called a couple of three weeks ago about moving a peony, mm-hmm. and I did what you said, but I didn't realize some of these roots are at least two feet long. What do I do? Nothing. Did you did you divide it up into different pieces or just dig the whole thing up and, and replant it? No, sir. I dug the whole thing up and tried to put it in a large, large pot, but... I didn't know what to do about these two feet long roots. Just break them off, cut them off. Just, just, just cut them off. I would cut them, make a clean cut because that's that's more likely to heal over quickly. And are you gonna keep it in the pot or just keep it for a little while? Because you know they'll grow in pots, but they do a whole lot better in real dirt. I'm gonna keep it in the pot until I can move it. I'm moving to a new location. I've got to get okay. beds prepared. Okay, well, the main thing is keep in mind that, that the peonies in pots are going to dry out more quickly than they would out in the dirt. You don't want to keep it too wet, uh, Laura. If you keep it too wet, it can rot the roots but because uh, it's drought tolerant. But, you know, make sure it doesn't stay dry or too wet. But also put it in a place where it gets morning sunshine but not hot middle-of-the-day sun because they really grow better further north. Uh, try, try to avoid it like on a patio or against a wall try, where there's a lot of heat. Uh, try to put it where it gets some uh, morning sunshine, but protection from radiated heat and middle of the day sun. But I would just cut those roots off. That's just part of it. Uh, okay, thank you. Okie dokie, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, folks, if you're tuning in on a podcast in the South, we say peony. Up north, to say peony. Some places say piney. It doesn't matter as long as we both know what we're talking about. Let's go to Flowood now. Hey, Laurie, thank you for calling. Hey, how are you? Fine, thank you. What's up? Uh, I had a, a few questions. My first question was, I've had ants in my compost heap, which is just a really large planter for right. uh, since, since the summer, and I thought, well, maybe they'll just die over the winter, but they didn't. Is there anything I could do, or does it even matter if they're in there? I'm just worried that they would, like, eat the eat the ants or something no you said these are ants that are in it yeah fire ants in the yeah 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 one thing you can do this sounds kind of really weird but but if it's an open pile if you water it really good uh and then throw some clear plastic over it clear plastic let sunshine through and it'll heat up the water that's in your compost and steam the ants uh, you know, it's sort of, sort of like in a, a car with the windows all rolled up. Uh, but at the same time, they really they really don't hurt stuff that much. If you can just work real quick and keep them off your fingers, they're not that big a deal. They're really, really not. Oh, but I guess I can't really put it in my garden. Little sure, sure you garden. can. Sure you can. You know, fire ants are going to, you know, they, they, they move their, they start nests by moving the eggs and things like that. Uh, you know, if you shift the compost you know, before you put it out someplace, the random ants are going to run around till they get. You know, they're going to get lost and just wander off and die. You know, you you only have to worry about uh, them if you move a bunch of eggs and they start a new mound. But they're going to do that anyway. So you deal with the mounds separate issue. But uh, what you know what hardware cloth is? Uh, no, but I can figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go go to any hardware store. It looks like window screen, but the screens are like a a half inch 
uh, you know, it's a really big, big oh, square yeah, screen. Yeah. Have, if you if you get some of that and and just drape it over a trash can and throw your your compost on top of that, and run the shovel over it, it'll sift the good stuff down into it. And you can throw the other stuff back, and that really boogers up ants. They can't figure out what to do with that. But that's a good way to sift out the the, the good stuff and throw the big stuff back in. And you can do it quick enough where the ants don't bother you. Oh, okay, okay. Well, my next question is, uh, I was thinking about getting um growing elderberries because you know everybody's Uh, so keen on those right now what about adam's elderberry do you think i could get some of those around here uh, locally or the you know elderberry there's a lot there's several different kinds of elderberries for one thing there's woody small tree elderberries which we don't really grow much in the south there's ones you see all over england and new england and all the kind we have they come up they're herbaceous perennial they're really big and then they die down the winter and they start back up and typically they bloom in oh late may or june or so Uh, but they're real easy to grow um you just have to find some of those but I, i haven't seen anybody selling elderberry trees or elderberry shrubs not not oh, not okay. central mississippi okay and my last question is i was trying to get my 12 year old son interested in gardening and uh-huh. besides, besides just forcing him to go out there and help me put seeds in and uh so he said well i'm i might want to grow corn is it feasible yeah. to be able to grow corn in your backyard yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it's uh, corn needs to be grown in 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 groups because the, that little tassel at the top that's where the the pollen comes from and it falls down on the silks, which is you know what makes the ear the 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 corn in there. And if you don't grow if you grow them straight up, the wind will blow the pollen away. So he needs to plant like four or five rows a couple of feet apart in like a square. So collectively they keep all their pollen when the wind blows. But yeah, you you can do that. It's it's not that it's actually kind of interesting. There's also this thing called the three sisters that uh, your son might even get him interested a little bit in in in, in history. Uh, shoot me an email. Is, is he listening? Or is he at school? No, sir. Okay. Shoot shoot me an email. We'll figure some ways out to to get him involved without him feeling like a goober. If you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, hey, I spent my childhood hoeing eighty foot rows of okra, and it made me turn out weird. So we don't want to do that to him. <laughs> but yeah, well, he he grew, he grew corn and a couple of other things, and actually, in a way that makes him feel kind of cool. We just got to be well, careful on that one because he's twelve. Four to five rows, one foot apart. That does sound like kind of a large area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he can grow some smaller areas, but he needs to have at least three or four or five plants in an area that you can barely bigger than you can put your arms around, but pretty close to each other. In other words, a group of corn, not a corn plant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Shoot me, shoot me an email. Let's have some fun with this. Let's 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 raise him right. All right. Thank you. Okay. All righty, folks. You got to be careful with kids. You know, they don't all think alike. And none of them think like grown-ups, and none of them think like we want them to think. There's all sorts of ways we can involve children and young people in gardening in a way that they don't know that they're being taught how to do stuff that'll apply later. Doesn't really matter. We're going to be talking about gardening for the rest of the hour. Going to do a little short piece of a happy can we get along type of tune and come back with more of your phone calls uh kevin uh and java and me and all those folks at mpb appreciate you tuning in so things we can help you with or help promote give us a call or shoot us an email gardening at mpbonline.org we'll be right back after this
Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. Just got a great email from John B. Switzer. He said, what a glorious day it is in Mississippi. I'm enjoying your show and the beautiful views of the countryside on Highway 45 between Meridian and Tupelo. Thanks for making my day even brighter. You are welcome, Sir John. Appreciate that. Right, let's slide over to Fort Worth, Texas on the, the uh, what I call the desert side of Texas. Hey, Ray, how are you this morning? You're, you're, you're on the verge of West Texas. I am on the, uh, on the icy side yesterday, but I'm doing good, Felder. How are you today? <laughs> good. What's, what's up? Well, I was listening to your show a couple of weeks ago, and you got me excited about trying to plant some tomatoes this year from seeds. So I ordered some from Seed Savers, and I was just wondering if you had any tips to get them started and went out and put them in the ground. Yeah, a couple of things. For, you, you live in Fort, near Fort Worth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, you're going to need to wait until... To not just the danger of frost has passed, but when the, the dirt is warmed up. So we're looking at the really the first part of April before I put them in the ground. So let's wait a couple of weeks before we get them started. Here's a tip on uh, for anybody starting uh, seeds indoors. They need warmth. They need light, but most important, they need humidity. Uh, so if you start them in little little seed starter trays and cover it with some plastic, you know, put some plastic spoons or something, cover it with clear plastic wrap to make like a little miniature greenhouse, this keeps the humidity high and it'll keep warmth in, and they'll sprout real fast that way. And as soon as they sprout, get rid of the plastic, and every day that's above 50 degrees, put them out in the real sunshine. It's, it's not just the low light of indoors. Uh, but also the low humidity indoors that, that makes them real leggy and floppy and skinny. The ones they have at garden centers are real thick and sturdy because they're, ex- they're, because they're exposed to cool temperatures, real sunshine, and even the wind that blows them around that stimulates and thickens up their, st- their, their, uh, uh, their stems. So uh, high humidity to get them started you know, indoors. As soon as they sprout, lose the plastic, and as soon as they really start growing it all, Give them some real sunshine as long as it's above 50, 55 degrees. Just bring them in at night and make sure that the cats don't use it for their litter box. All right, perfect. That's just a start. Shoot me an email. Be glad to help. Uh, of course, you know, you got all sorts of folks over there from, from, from Texas A&M that help you. Lots of good, good folks there in, in your neck of the woods. Okay, well, perfect. I appreciate it. I'm excited to try it. We've done them from okay. seedlings before but never actually seeds. Yeah, main thing is to keep them get. We want them to come up fast. We don't want them to get long and leggy, and that means sunshine and a little bit of a breeze. Even a little little West Texas sunshine and and a little bit of breeze, they'll do great. All right, thank you very much. You bet, Ray. Appreciate it, man. Okay, let's slide up to Hernando, Mississippi. Hello, is this uh, is this? I don't know how to pronounce the names. Sapin, Sapin. Yeah, what what's up? I was calling about uh, the gentleman that called about the aquarium, Jason. Yeah? I just had a couple of comments. Um, Good. I'm not sure what kind of uh, planting he's doing, but he can also plant uh, inside the aquarium and actually make a planted aquarium. Also, if you add more fish, they'll naturally fertilize the plants because, you know, their waste is going to be what's putting on the plants. And yeah. if you wanted to if you wanted to go further, you can infuse the water with CO two, and it kind of get gets expensive, but it it blows up the growth in the in, in the aquarium and and also outside of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've read snippets of that, but not being a, an aquarium person, you know, I I can't put the two and two together from personal experience. Uh, can you get little CO two generators like in Amazon or something? Um, yes, you can. You, basically, you just have to put a regulator on a CO2 tank, and then 
there's a little device that infuses it, it, it micro it makes micro bubbles that infuses CO2. But uh. you have to be careful because you have to put a probe in uh, to control the pH because if the pH will drop too much, all your fish will die. And oh yeah, also yeah. you can you can get water soluble uh, nutrients. Uh, I, I I've used uh, like uh, like you said potassium and and also nitrogen and also you have to balance. Um, I think it's called a, your um, DHK or something like that, where your pH swings are not too high or low, so it, it kind of gradually right. decreases your pH. Otherwise, it just makes the system completely unstable. But yeah, saying that, a small aquarium like a 20-gallon one, um, you're going to spend about five to $500 to $1,000 to make everything stable like that. Uh, you can get new fish every year for that. <laughs> and uh, yes, sir. And also, uh, lighting. Lighting is also a big issue. So you have to get the right lighting, the right timing. It just, it just, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of micromanaging, trying to figure out exactly how the system is going to be stable. And which, which, what was what makes an interesting hobby? It, it, that's, it's just basically trying to get, you know, like you mentioned, the the algae growth. You have to, you have to just balance everything correctly. There's uh, schedules uh, that you can look online to put how many nutrients, and you have to uh, take the water out. You have to stabilize uh, the tank. And then people also put plants inside and outside. The outside plants, people have grown uh, sweet potatoes. Um, if you have a saltwater tank, you can do mangroves. It's just, yeah. it's just a lot of fun trying to grow plants hey, in and out well, of the I, tank. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, because this this is something that, that a, a lot more people should be interested in, and I don't have personal experience other than my mother's. I didn't I didn't learn anything from my mother's big big thing. If you would, would you send me a couple of uh, your favorite uh, websites that might have details about this that I could learn myself and also pass on to anybody else? Yes, sir. I can sure do that. Do that. Do that. It's garden at mpbonline.org. This, you know, that way I can learn some stuff. But more important, it, I have you know some it, resources in other people. Of, it's a lot of so fun, what? and and there's there's actual websites that describe. Um, it's called aquascaping, and people make the yeah. things look like outside world, and it's it's it can get really really complicated, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you know, gardening can get complicated, or you can keep it real, real simple. A goldfish in a bowl is about as simple as you can get. You can get more and more complicated. But send me a couple of resources so I can learn a little bit, but more important, I can have something to help other folks with. I would appreciate that. Okay. Sure, thank you. All righty, man. I appreciate your call. Have Very interesting. Thank you. All righty. Let's go to Tim in Perkiston down south. What's up, Tim? Thank you for taking my call, Felder. Yeah. So. I've got I've got I've got some oak trees in my yard, and for years I've been driving on the north side of them. The driveway's been, you know, ten fifteen feet off of them, and in the last four or five years, it's taken on a small business pull a trailer a lot. So I'm going up the north, uh, the south side of them, and down the north side. Did I say that right? Been on the north side, started on the south side now. The south yeah. side. It killed the grass, and, the, and it's on a bit of a slope, so it's washing the dirt away, and all these roots are becoming exposed. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they're, they're not exposed on the on the uh, north side, where I've been driving for years. So what I was wanting to do is, is uh, if I put dirt on, it's just going to wash away. So I, right. I put some crushed grass, some crushed limestone on there, but it's going to damage the roots, but I don't know what damage it's going to do or... Okay, well, first of all, the, the, putting stuff on top of the ground is not going to damage root. The cr crushed limestone or shale or something like that will lock into place and do a better job. Gravel will just wash away. So you need to use something that's chipped like that, you know, a crush or something that's angular that will sort of pack down. But it won't right. hurt the roots at all. It, it, it really okay. won't. Uh, you can also put... Uh, you know, across the slope, just just every, you know what mondo grass is? M O N D O grass? No. Okay, some people call it little monkey grass. It's everywhere. All your neighbor, you may have some yourself. Just didn't know what it's called. But mondo grass or little monkey grass, you could plug in little pieces of it going across the wash here and there, and it'll sit there the first year. But next year, they'll they'll make like a little something that slows the water down and it'll catch leaves. And you can build it up that way. 
you can also put you some uh, two by four, two by six boards lengthways across it and sort of terrace it a little bit. So instead of sloping down, it sort of stair steps down every three or four or five feet. And that'll slow the water down. And it'll hold your your uh, your leaves, your mulch and also your your crushed limestone in place. So think about, you know, every three or four feet, just making like a little shelf like a real big stair steps down that hillside. That really helps about as much as whatever you put in it. All right. It sounds good. I appreciate it. It's a lot easier to say, Tim, than it is to do. <laughs> good luck. All right. Thank you. Call back in. You bet. Okay, let's slide up to Scuba. Peggy, we went from Perk Community College to Scuba Community College. What's going on? Peggy. Scoby, yes, hi. Howdy, what's up? You're I want to name? take my garden back from the grass. What's the most effective way to do that, and when should I do it? Well, first of all, if it's Bermuda grass or a perennial type of grass, the more you till it, the more you break it up, the more you're going to have. There's just no way around that. So, you know, other than letting it all green up and spraying it with something like, you know, the safe for the garden, like Roundup, there's really not much you can do except uh, keep it where you can till it and mulch it. You can put uh, uh, flattened out cardboard in between plants, like like between your tomato plants and stuff, and it'll actually smother the grass and break down and feed your soil. So you might want to think about putting a real thick mulch down and, like I say, uh, flattened out cardboard covered with anything else works about as well as anything. And it'll smother the grass, too. And but there, there's, not, there's not much... There's not much safe that you can spray out there while you have vegetables growing, is what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Thank That's you. A, okay. It's a start. I wish, I wish there was an easier way, but if there was an easy way, I'd do it myself. But I just pull and I mulch, <laughs> and that helps about as much as anything. <laughs> Good luck All on right. it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. I got an email from uh, from Danny Pluckett. Wants to know Danny Ann Pluckett uh, wants to know when's the best time to cut monkey grass. And I would say today, this weekend. Monkey grass, whether it's mondo or liriope or liriope, however liriope, whatever you want to call it, monkey grass. It puts up all of its new growth in the middle of the uh, late winter, early late winter, early spring. And if you cut that, it's going to look ragged for the whole year. So you want to cut it back before the new growth comes up. Or, or if it's starting to come up, just try not to cut the tips off the new growth. Or look rag- they put up all of this new growth just in the spring, and we don't want to make it look bad all year long. So if you just got to prune it, I go and get right on it and, you know, get, get down on your knees and see if you can find any new growth yet. And if you don't see any of that, have at it. If you do have, and I do see some of that, just be careful. Try not to cut it too low. Uh, got a lot of really interesting emails while I've been on the line. Don't know if I have time to answer them while I'm um, I'm on the air. I, I will answer them uh, by email. But one is from uh, up in in uh, Startville. Fellow wants to know if he can grow. Uh, Andrew Stamps wants to know if he can grow citrus. He said Lowe's is selling citrus trees. Uh, no, we have hard enough time growing uh, citrus fruit even on the coast where they've been doing it for a century and a half. Uh, but in central Mississippi, the only hardy outdoor one is that thing they call wild lemon or hardy orange with the big thorns and little small furry fruits. Uh, you can grow several in big pots, you know, just big enough where you can't put your arms around it. they got to be dragged in and out every time the weather changes. They don't like to be indoors all winter, but they don't like freezes. So if you want to try to grow a kumquat or one of those kind of uh, smaller, uh, some of the lemon trees, in big containers, uh, be prepared to drag them into the garage when it freezes and put them back out when it's above 45 or 50 because they need that. Plus, they bloom in the wintertime. They need pollinated. So anyway, yeah, Lowe's sells things that won't grow in Mississippi. Uh, nothing new there. So anyway, if you have some questions you want to uh, shoot me an email about, it's garden at MPB online.org. Uh, we'd like to mention that uh, uh, Colquitt Odom want to know when he should apply fertilizer to a St. Augustine. He said, do you recommend weed and feed or regular fertilizer? And this is the most important tip I can give you this time of year other than get your garden ready for spring is do not use weed killer 
fertilizer combinations. They are not good for southern grasses. I know they sell a lot. I know they're popular. I know they're big money makers, but it's like mixing sugar and toothpaste. I like sugar. I like toothpaste. And if they can sell a toothpaste that has sugar in it, it sell like hotcakes. But no, fertilize after the grass has been mowed a time or two in the spring. We're looking at April as the earliest recommended time by Mississippi State and Auburn to fertilize your lawn. Early April. If you want to use weed killers right now, um, you need to use a liquid spray while the weeds are still fairly small. If you wait till next month, even weed killers won't kill them. So if you want to spray for weeds now, Now's the time to do it, not a month from now. If you want to fertilize, let's wait till April. Make yourself do what's right for the lawn, not what's good for the pocketbook of somebody selling you a bunch of sugary toothpaste. Now, I know I sound kind of bold about that. I studied turf management at Mississippi State. I'm real sure about this. Wait until April to fertilize your grass. If you got to spray weeds, if you just got to, let's get it done this month because next month weeds are too big to kill likely hurt your grass. Anyway, all sorts of stuff going on. We've been live here at MPB. Got a lot of stuff I'd like to chat with you about, but uh, me and Java Chapman and Kevin Farrell and all the other folks at MPB, we thank you for joining us. We thank the diggers out there, the determined independent gardeners who like to share plants and keep the flame going. Uh, we appreciate all of you listening to my podcast. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org uh, if you have things. But remember, sharpen your rough edges. Be the best version of your weird self you can be. Meanwhile, if you get out and about, take a kid to a garden center. Get them a little sack of something, an oregano or rosemary, something that smells good that they can turn into chili and spaghetti. Show young people how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. See y'all at Hutto's next week at the Fruit Seminar. Thank you.